Well, it's good to be here this morning, and we're going to continue our studies in the, um, in the Psalms. And uh, this morning is Psalm 10, it means last week was Psalm 9, next week Psalm 11, and Dustin will be speaking. And what a privilege it is to be able to be back in church together. And uh, just, we're able to come. If there's a little too many, we can send you back into the balcony. It's a funny thing. Over the past while, we've had to stay away, or we've told people not too many people because we can only have 45. Well, we can have at least 75 plus more on the balcony. So you can come and bring your friends. It's time to join together once again. And uh, I never thought I'd see the time when it would be a privilege to just be able to join together with other Christians in church. And for a year and a half, we've not had that ability. So uh, we need to take these things as a gift and never take them for granted. Um, Wanna look this morning at Psalm 10. So if you have a Bible, you can look that up. We'll follow through. If uh, not, you can look up on your phone. Bible Gateway is a uh, a great place to get scriptures. I'm gonna be speaking from the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is a good, clear version of scripture. And uh, so when you look up Bible Gateway, just put in ESV, Psalm 10, and you'll find the passage. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this privilege to be able to come together and meet with other believers to encourage each other and to experience a blessing that you said you would give to us through your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. As children, I think most of us receive this gem of wisdom, sometimes from a parent, sometimes from a teacher, and the wisdom went something like this. If you can't say something nice to someone or about someone, then say nothing at all. If you can't say something nice about someone, then say nothing at all. Well, either the writer of Psalm 10 hadn't heard that advice, or if they had heard that advice, they decided to ignore it. And this isn't just someone that the psalmist is talking about. This is a prayer. It's directed to the Lord, to Jehovah. And listen to the complaint which begins Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That doesn't sound at all like a nice thing to say to the Lord. Philip Yancey, who has written extensively on the subject of suffering, entitled one of his books, The Question That Never Goes Away. And that question is just one word. It's why. And specifically in Psalm 10, the why question relates to the success of the underhanded, the prosperity of the wicked. A number of years ago, a Jewish rabbi from New York wrote a best-selling book entitled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Well, Psalm 10 addresses the exact opposite question. This psalm could be entitled, Why Do Good Things Happen to Bad People? And in Psalm 10, verse 2 to 11, the psalmist pours out his heart to God and said, here's the problem. And with a heavy heart, he reviews the ugly, the conniving, the destructive behavior of the oppressor. And in spite of their deceitfulness, he says, the evil are prospering. Evil seems to be winning. Lord, where are you? Lord, why don't you do something? Lord, this isn't fair. Why? Then in Psalm 10, beginning in verse 12, there's a huge shift in the psalm. 
Look at verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. And in verse 13 to 15, he continues with a prayer to overthrow evil, to stop the wicked oppressor, and to liberate the oppressed. And then it was read to us, the contemporary version this morning, there's this very graphic verse in verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. This is passionate language. Then the psalmist concludes with a wonderful benediction at verse 16. The Lord is king forever. Sometimes in our age we say, in spite of all the troubles, the Lord is still on the throne. The Lord is king forever, and thank God he is. So there's the message of Psalm 10 in a nutshell. Now, I'd like to look at it in a little more detail. Come back with me to Psalm 10 and verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now, no doubt there is wisdom in the words of our teachers. When you can't say something nice about someone, then say nothing at all. And in the everyday relationships of life, the people that we meet here and there and in the store and on the street, that is excellent advice to follow. But there is a deeper truth, a much more profound truth, and it's this. The stronger our relationship with another, the more honest our communication becomes. That's the only path to strong friendship. As long as we operate up here on the superficial nice level, you never really develop a deep friendship. It's only when you get down here to the honest level. So the corollary is also true. The more honest our communication, the stronger our relationships grow. This is honest communication. Lord, where are you? Lord, why don't you do something? This is the complaint of a trusted friend. In the gospel stories, there's a similar situation. It's found in John chapter 11. You maybe remember the Bible story. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is seriously ill. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, send Jesus a message. In John 11, verse 3, it says this. So the sisters sent to him, that is to Jesus, and said, Lord, the one that you love, he whom you love, is ill. Now, they didn't directly ask Jesus to come. They just assumed he would come. I mean, obviously you would come. This is your friend. Yet Jesus delays. He does not come immediately. And when he finally arrives, he hears the complaint of a trusted friend. John eleven twenty one. 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is the complaint of a trusted friend. The more deeply we know someone, the more honestly we communicate. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This message is for us. This message is for you. This message is for me. When my heart is confused, when my life is hard, pour out your heart to the Lord. Be honest. But note, not only is the psalmist honest in his prayer, he is dedicated in his description. And in Psalm 10, verse 2 to 11, he pours out in detail, here is the problem, Lord. The issue on his heart is the prosperity and the arrogance of the wicked. Now, this is what upset the psalmist. I'm not sure 
what you do when you're really upset about something, when something has really ticked you off. No, I don't mean something trivial, that when some silly motorist cut you off down at the roundabout in St. Jacobs. I mean something that's big, like an injustice you observed at work, or a questionable business deal that you have been shoehorned into, or the duplicity of a friend, an evil that makes your heart burn. What do you do? Do you journal and write down your thoughts? Some of us do that. Do you keep it inside and stew about it? Or do you talk it through with someone you trust? And that's what I like to do. Maybe that's not the right way to do it, but that's what I do. A large cup of coffee and a listening ear. And it's not just enough for me to just summarize the problem in one line. I like to parse out the problem piece by piece, line by line. And that's what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm chapter 10. In detail, he goes over to the Lord, that slow listening ear, telling him the trouble. What's really burning him up? And the problem is rampant evil. Lord, why does the wicked seem to be winning? Why are they taking over? Look at his concerns, verse 5. The way of the wicked prospers at all times. They're cheating in business, they're exploiting the poor, they're ignoring the good, but they're prosperous and successful. Look at verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked pursues the poor. Verse 3, the wicked boasts of his desire. Verse 6, the wicked says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. I will be successful. Arrogant, boastful, proud, full of himself. Someone has said, this is the description of a self-made man, and we always need to beware of self-made people because they worship their creator themselves. Arrogant, boastful, and proud. But not only proud and self-made, but look at verse 7, foul-mouthed. His mouth is filled with cursing, deceit, and oppression, and under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. A tongue filled with abuse laced with deceit, riddled with lies, intimidating, threatening, twisting, all to get their own way. They are not worthy of the trust that is placed upon them. You cannot believe what they say. But it gets worse. Look at verse 8. When they can't destroy with their words, then violence kicks in. Verse 8, he sits in ambush in the villages, and hiding places he murders the innocent. Verse 10, the helpless are crushed, they sink down and fall by his might. Power is their stock and trade. For the wicked, might is right. But notice, there's one other aspect of these individuals. It's their relationship with God. Look at verse 4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. And all his thoughts are, there is no God. For all intents, a practical atheist. Look at verse 11. After committing wrong, there's this response of evil. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Now, that's a bit of a complexity. The evildoer ignores and denies God's existence, but then after committing evil, there's this twinge of guilt. What if there really is a God? Oh, well, if there is, I hope he doesn't see it. You know, sometimes in the writings of the new atheists, um, they sometimes confuse me, the Richard Dawkins and the Christopher Hitchens, because on the one side, they deny God's existence. God is a myth. But then they express their displeasure of a God who does things they don't like. 
how could God judge the Canaanites? Well, how can you be angry with someone who isn't there? Proud, foul-mouthed, violent, godless. Evil is increasing, wickedness acceptable, oppression overwhelming. Lord, why? Lord, do something about it. And in great detail, the psalmist lays out the whole problem before the Lord. Now, I think this morning, this is an encouragement to each of us. As we have to face and work with difficult people, as we find ourselves dealing with difficult situations, lay out the full dimension of the problem to the Lord. It has been pointed out that wickedness is not a new phenomena. It's simply in every generation, it simply takes new forms. I like this quote from John Calvin, who is one of the reformers from 500 years ago. Here's what he says. It tends greatly to lighten the grief to consider that nothing befalls us in this day which the church of God has not experienced in days of old. The church has dealt with wickedness and trouble and problems since its inception. I wonder what particular evil the psalmist was thinking of when he prayed this prayer. Was it the hypocrisy of an individual he knew? Was it the hate of a political foe? Was it an internal enemy within the state? Was it an external enemy like the Babylonians or the Assyrians? I wonder what particular evil in our time would cause us to pray a prayer like this. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? What evil makes my heart burn? What evil makes your heart burn? I was thinking of the evil of human trafficking, and I, I want to give a shout out to Twyla, who I know has this as a passion and is trying to do something about it. Men and women bought and sold for others' gain, exploited for sex, exploited for underage labor, and even in our own country, exploited for underage sex. But here's the kicker. According to Wikipedia, human trafficking is a $15 billion a year industry. The wicked are reaping in wealth at the expense of the weak. Or think of rampant pornography. Brothers and sisters, I think we need to make our priority God's priority. We don't make our priority the headline of the paper. We make our priority those things which move our hearts as believers. Think of rampant pornography. It doesn't hit the headlines, but it sure destroys homes. I was shocked when I watched the documentary, Over 18. What a massive machine of evil. Now, my son David and Dustin were involved in producing that film, which has had a lot of impact, been watched by members of parliament, and had impact even on some uh, thinking in uh, Parliament Hill. Billions and billions of dollars in profit, thousands and thousands of lives caught in a dangerous web, a strange interconnection of exploiting and exploited. It's a moral tragedy of our time that goes almost unspoken, and yet it's a massive, almost legitimate industry. It fills the internet with gigabytes of material. It's produced and distributed by some of the largest internet companies in Canada. These questionable profits have created some very, very, very wealthy Canadian businessmen. Or think of the drug trade. Drug lords making millions while lives are lost and homes destroyed. And we pray, Lord, do something about it. Where are you in times of trouble? Bring justice, O oh Lord. Or think of the persecuted church. 
Christians in North Korea and Iran and Nigeria and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan who have paid a high price for following Jesus, men who have lost their jobs, women who have lost their dignity, families that have lost their homes. Wickedness is not a new phenomena. In every generation, it just takes new forms. Psalm 10, verse 2 to 11 reflects the timeless concern of the problem of wickedness. Now, come to verse 12. The psalm changes its tone completely. Psalm 10, verse 12, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Verse 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, and you will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Verse 18, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. In Psalm 10, verse 2 to 11, we have the overwhelming human problem. Why? But in Psalm 10, verse 12 to 18, we have an all-powerful divine deliverer. You know, what's interesting is we come to this part of the psalm, it does not answer the dilemma of why. And perhaps the reason is, is because the why question will often remain a mystery. Instead of answering the riddle of why, the psalm refocuses the problem. It focuses, shift, the focus shifts from the problem of why to the reality of God's provision. Follow with me here, verse 14. There's at least four key attributes which the psalmist recites when he remembers God's attributes. Look at verse 14. But you, Lord, do see, for you note mischief and vexation. The New Living Translation is a little clearer. Lord, you see the trouble and grief these people cause. Here's the first attribute of the Lord. God sees. He knows what's going on. This is not hidden to him. His slowness to act is not due to his lack of sight. His slowness to act is because of his mercy and grace. Look at verse 14. To you, O Lord, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Not only does God see, but God cares. He helps the orphan. He helps the helpless. But note, this isn't just a theory. This is built on past historical activity. This statement is in the past tense. You have been a help. In other words, you continue to be. You have acted in the past, rescuing us from our enemies, delivering us from our enemies. And because God has acted in the past, we have every reason to believe he will do it again. His love in times past won't allow us to think. He'll leave us at last in sorrow to sink. God sees, God cares. Look at verse 15. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The New Living Testament is even more graphic. Break the arms of these wicked people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. And the message is clear. God judges. This aspect of God is sometimes forgotten today, but forgotten or not, it does not change the moral necessity of God's justice. The text does sound brutal, and I, I didn't explain it as I read it, but uh, break the arm of the wicked. In Scripture, the arm is the sign of strength. The arm of the Lord is strong to save. So the prayer is that the Lord will decisively act and break the power of wickedness. And there is confidence that he will. God sees, God cares, God judges. Look at verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. 
God reigns. You know, evil egotists of history come and go. I was, I was reading a little bit a while ago about the French Revolution, which is a horrible story. I was reading about Nero and Napoleon and Mao and Hitler and Stalin, and they're all gone. Their arm has been broken, their power is gone, but God reigns forever and ever, amen? Listen to the wonderful words of Revelation 11, verse 15. They're encapsulated in the Messiah when we sing it. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. God sees, God cares, God judges, God reigns. A couple of weeks ago, I was browsing in a bookstore, which for the past year has been very difficult to do because contrary to what bibliophiles, that is, people who love books, like myself, books were deemed non-essential. Dustin, can you believe it? Books, non-essential. But so when at last the non-essential was ruled essential, I was in the bookstore. And of course, I was able to shop through Amazon the past year. Don't feel too sorry for me, right? And I came across this book here, Free at Last, which is the story of Asia Bibi. It's the story of a brave Pakistani Christian woman who spent 10 years in a dark, dank prison, falsely accused of insulting the Prophet Muhammad, condemned to die for blasphemy. Probably some of you followed the story. And this story caught my attention because I had, I had watched it, I had read it a few years ago, and also because of my friends Jamal and Aram Malik, who live here in Elmira, who have come as refugees from Pakistan because of their faith. And you know, I don't know how it is with you, but I always find it interesting. Whenever I start getting into a story, suddenly I just happen upon more bits to the story. Has it ever happened to you? You start like looking at something and then something else. So I just finished reading this book, and last Sunday I was reading the Globe and Mail, which is my little treat on a Sunday afternoon. Read the Globe and Mail. And this headline caught my eye. Pakistan called her a blasphemer. Canada became her refuge. It was an interview with Isaiah Bibby. I, I just finished the book on the Friday, and here this is in the paper. And it actually was the first interview with a Canadian reporter since she came to Canada two years ago. And what a story hers is, a story of human wickedness, but also a story of God's justice. Accused of blasphemy when she unwittingly became the target of her neighbor's vengeance, condemned in her own village. And in Pakistan, even an accusation of blasphemy is fire. It's a way of getting even with people, of settling scores, of getting rid of unwanted neighbors, a way of getting minorities in their place, a way of getting Christians out of the way. And the court punishment for blasphemy in Pakistan is death. But in fairness to the Pakistani government, they have been merciful. They're so far to this point in time, although many have been accused, no one has actually been executed. But mob rule is not kind. And hundreds have lost their lives, not just Christians, but also minority Hindus and minority Muslim groups have also had that anger placed upon them. And Isaiah Bibi is not alone. According to the uh, Pakistani newspaper Dawn, in 2020, 200 people, mostly Christians, were charged with blasphemy. Isaiah Bibi languished in prison for 10 years, the threat of death hanging over her like a noose. 
for 10 years separated from her husband. She only saw him on a handful of occasions. And for 10 years separated completely. She never saw her children for 10 years. Psalm 10 verse 8 became a contemporary reality for Isaiah. Look at it there. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places he murders the innocent. Verse 10, the helpless are crushed and they sink down and fall by his might. In her book, Isaiah Bibby's prayers are recorded and one of them, which I'm gonna put up here, it almost sounds like a modern contemporary version of Psalm 10. My God, help me find the right words. I'm broken, crushed, completely exhausted. My heart roars. Lord, all of my desire is laid out before you, and none of my complaints escape you. I haven't the heart. My strength is failing me, and even the light in my eyes is fading. Those who want my death hound me. Those people who want me to suffer are speaking evil words. I am keeping my mouth shut, and Lord, I know that you will respond. My enemies are strong and vigorous and a lot of them have it out for me. When I look for goodness, they accuse me. My God, never abandon me. Do not stray far from me. Come quickly to my aid. And that prayer was answered. And today, Isaiah Bibby and her family live in a western Canadian city on the Canadian prairies. By her own admission, life is difficult, a new country, a new language, and still the fear of extremist attack, even in our country. The Globe and Mail was, was really interesting in this. Um, hear her testimony as she spoke to the reporter, and you can look it up yourself when you go home and look it up online. She said this, I will never be able to thank Canada enough for its hospitality, its generosity, its bravery in welcoming someone like me. Look, brothers and sisters, things in our country are not perfect, but thank God for Canada. In the interview, she goes on to talk about her faith, and it just shines through. I knew God was standing by me, she says, even with all the people who helped me. If God did not want me here, how could I have made it? As a church, we need to keep people like Isaiah and her family in our hearts and prayers. We need to be a voice for many Christians who live in difficult situations, Christians for whom Psalm 10 is still their reality. Join with me as we end the psalm. Psalm 10, beginning at verse 16. I love this benediction. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in the midst of trouble, you are a God that sees, you are a God that cares, you are our righteous judge, and above all, you reign supreme. This morning, we bring to you the concerns that weigh us down, the injustice that breaks your heart. We pray for believers who are persecuted for their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. In particular, we pray for Isaiah Bibby and her family, may she experience your grace and the love of your people here in Canada. May we welcome her to this country and bless her. Hear our prayer, for we pray it through the name of our Savior and Deliverer, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.